Chapter Eleven, Part One of Hilda Wade. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Hilda Wade, a woman with tenacity of purpose, by Grant Allen. Chapter Eleven, Part One. The episode of the officer who understood perfectly after our fortunate escape from the clutches of our two admiring tibetan hosts we wound our way slowly back through the maharaja's territory towards sir ivor's headquarters on the third day out from the lamasari we camped in a romantic himalayan valley a narrow green glen with a brawling stream running in white cataracts and rapids down its midst we were able to breathe freely now we could enjoy the great tapering deodars that rose in ranks on the hillsides the snow-clad needles of ramping rock that bounded the view to north and south the feathery bamboo jungle that fringed and half obscured the mountain torrent whose cool music alas fallaciously cool was borne to us through the dense green of waving foliage lady meadowcroft was so delighted at having got clear away from those murderous and saintly tibetans that for a while she almost forgot to grumble she even condescended to admire the deep cleft ravine in which we bivouacked for the night and to admit that the orchids which hung from the tall trees were as fine as any at her florists in piccadilly though how they can have got them out here already in this outlandish place the most fashionable kinds when we in england have to grow them with such care in expensive hothouses she said really passes my comprehension she seemed to think that orchids originated in covent garden early next morning i was engaged with one of my native men in lightening the fire to boil our kettle for in spite of all misfortunes we still made tea with creditable punctuality when a tall and good-looking nepalese approached us from the hills with cat-like tread and stood before me in an attitude of profound supplication he was a well-dressed young man like a superior native servant his face was broad and flat but kindly and good-humoured he salaamed many times but still said nothing ask him what he wants i cried turning to our fair-weather friend the cook the deferential nepalese did not wait to be asked salam sahib he said bowing again very low till his forehead almost touched the ground you are european doctor sahib i am i answered taken aback at being thus recognized in the forest of nepal but how in wonder did you come to know it you camped near here when you passed this way before and you doctor little native girl who got sore eyes all the country here tell you is very great physician so i come and to see if you will turn aside to my village to help us where did you learn english i exclaimed more and more astonished i is servant one time at british residence at the maharaja's city pick up english there also pick up plenty loopy very good business at british residence now gone back home to my own village retired gentleman and he drew himself up 
with conscious dignity. I surveyed the retired gentleman from head to foot. He had an air of distinction which not even his bare toes could altogether mar. He was evidently a person of local importance. And what did you want me to visit your village for? I inquired dubiously. Why, travellers are ill there, sir. Very ill. Got plague. Great first-class sahib. All same like governor ill fit to die send me out all times to find european doctor plague i repeated startled he nodded yes plague all same like them hab him so bad down bombay way do you know his name i asked for though one does not like to desert a fellow creature in distress i did not care to turn aside from my road on such an errand with hilda and lady meadowcroft unless for some amply sufficient reason the retired gentleman shook his head in the most emphatic fashion how me know he answered opening the palms of his hands as if to show he had nothing concealed in them forget european name all times so easily and traveller's i've name very hard to remember not got english name him european fallinger a european foreigner i repeated and you say he is seriously ill plague is no trifle well wait a minute i'll see what the ladies say about it how far off is your village he pointed with his hand somewhat vaguely to the hillside two hours walk he answered with the mountaineer's habit of reckoning distance by time which extends under the like circumstances the whole world over I went back to the tents and consulted Hilda and Lady Meadowcroft. Our spoiled child pouted and was utterly averse to any detour of any sort. "'Let's get back straight to Ivor,' she said petulantly. "'I've had enough of camping out. It's all very well in its way for a week, but when they begin to talk about cutting your throat and all that, it ceases to be a joke and becomes a wee bit uncomfortable. I want my feather bed i object to their villages but consider dear hilda said gently this traveller is ill all alone in a strange land how can hubert desert him it is a doctor's duty to do what he can to alleviate pain and to cure the sick what would we have thought ourselves when we were at the lamasery if a body of european travellers had known we were there imprisoned and in danger of our lives and had passed by on the other side without attempting to rescue us lady meadowcroft knit her forehead that was us she said with an impatient nod after a pause and this is another person you can't turn aside for everybody who's ill in all nepal and plague too so horrid besides how do we know this isn't another plan of these hateful people to lead us into danger lady meadowcroft is quite right i said hastily i never thought about that there may be no plague no patient at all i will go up with this man alone hilda and find out the truth it will only take me five hours at most by noon i shall be back with you what and leave us here unprotected among the wild beasts and the savages lady meadowcroft cried horrified in the midst of the forest dr cumberledge how can you you are not unprotected i answered soothing her you have hilda with you she is worth ten men 
and besides our nepalese are fairly trustworthy hilda bore me out in my resolve she was too much of a nurse and had imbibed too much of the true medical sentiment to let me desert a man in peril of his life in a tropical jungle so in spite of lady meadowcroft i was soon winding my way up a steep mountain track overgrown with creeping indian weeds on my road to the still problematical village graced by the residence of the retired gentleman after two hours hard climbing we reached it at last the retired gentleman led the way to a house in a street of the little wooden hamlet the door was low i had to stoop to enter it i saw in a moment this was indeed no trick on a native bed in a corner of the one room a man lay desperately ill a european with white hair and with a skin well bronzed by exposure to the tropics ominous dark spots beneath the epidermis showed the nature of the disease he tossed restlessly as he lay but did not raise his fevered head or look at my conductor well any news of ramdas he asked at last in a parched and feeble voice parched and feeble as it was i recognized it instantly the man on the bed was sebastian no other no news of lamdas the retired gentleman replied with an unexpected display of womanly tenderness lamdas clean gone not come any more but i bling you back european doctor sahib sebastian did not look up from his bed even then i could see he was more anxious about a message from his scout than about his own condition the rascal he moaned with his eyes closed tight the rascal he has betrayed me and he tossed uneasily i looked at him and said nothing then i seated myself on a low stool by the bedside and took his hand in mine to feel his pulse the wrist was thin and wasted the face too i noticed had fallen away greatly it was clear that the malignant fever which accompanies the disease had wrecked its worst on him so weak and ill was he indeed that he let me hold his hand with my fingers on his pulse for half a minute or more without ever opening his eyes or displaying the slightest curiosity at my presence one might have thought that european doctors abounded in nepal and that i had been attending him for a week with a mixture as before at every visit your pulse is weak and very rapid i said slowly in a professional tone you seem to me to have fallen into a perilous condition at the sound of my voice he gave a sudden start yet even so for a second he did not open his eyes the revelation of my presence seemed to come upon him as in a dream like cumbledges he muttered to himself gasping exactly like cumbledges but cumbledge is dead i must be delirious if i didn't know to the contrary i could have sworn it was cumbledges i spoke again bending over him how long have the glandular swellings been present professor i asked with quiet deliberativeness this time he opened his eyes sharply and looked up in my face he swallowed a great gulp of surprise his breath came and went 
he raised himself on his elbows and stared at me with a fixed stare cumberledge he cried cumberledge come back to life then they told me you were dead and here you are cumberledge who told you i was dead i asked sternly he stared at me still in a dazed way he was more than half comatose your guide rammed us he answered at last half incoherently he came back by himself came back without you he swore to me he had seen all your throats cut in tibet he alone had escaped the buddhists had massacred you he told you a lie i said shortly i thought so i thought so and i sent him back for confirmatory evidence but the rouge has never brought it he let his head drop on his rude pillow heavily never never brought it i gazed at him full of horror the man was too ill to hear me too ill to reason too ill to recognize the meaning of his own words almost otherwise perhaps he would hardly have expressed himself quite so frankly though to be sure he had said nothing to criminate himself in any way his action might have been due to anxiety for our safety i fixed my glance on him long and dubiously what ought i to do next as for sebastian he lay with his eyes closed half oblivious of my presence the fever had gripped him hard he shivered and looked helpless as a child in such circumstances the instincts of my profession rose imperative within me i could not nurse a case properly in this wretched hut the one thing to be done was to carry the patient down to our camp in the valley there at least we had air and pure running water i asked a few questions from the retired gentleman as to the possibility of obtaining sufficient bearers in the village as i supposed any number were forthcoming immediately your nepalese is by nature a beast of burden he can carry anything up and down the mountains and spends his life in the act of carrying i pulled out my pencil tore a leaf from my notebook and scribbled a hasty note to hilda the invalid is whom do you think sebastian he is dangerously ill with some malignant fever i am bringing him down into camp to nurse get everything ready for him then i handed it over to a messenger found for me by the retired gentleman to carry to hilda my host himself i could not spare as he was my only interpreter in a couple of hours we had improvised a rough woven grass hammock as an ambulance couch had engaged our bearers and had got sebastian under way for the camp by the river when i arrived at our tents i found hilda had prepared everything for our patient with her usual cleverness not only had she got a bed ready for sebastian who was now almost insensible but she had even cooked some arrowroot from our stores beforehand so that he might have a little food with a dash of brandy in it to recover him after the fatigue of the journey down the mountain by the time we had laid him out on the mattress in a cool tent with the fresh air blowing about him and had made him eat the meal prepared for him he really began to look comparatively comfortable lady meadowcroft was now our chief trouble we did not dare to tell her it was really plague 
but she had got near enough back to civilization to have recovered her faculty for profuse grumbling and the idea of the delay that sebastian would cause us drew her wild with annoyance only two days off from ivor she cried and that comfortable bungalow and now to think we must stop here in the woods a week or ten days for this horrid old professor why can't he get worse at once and die like a gentleman but there with you to nurse him hilda he'll never get worse he couldn't die if he tried he'll linger on and on for weeks and weeks through beastly convalescence hubert hilda said to me when we were alone once more we mustn't keep her here she will be a hindrance not a help one way or another we must manage to get rid of her how can we i asked we can't turn her loose upon the mountain roads with a nepalese escort she isn't fit for it she would be frantic with terror i've thought of that and i see only one thing possible i must go on with her myself as fast as we can push to sir ivor's place and then return to help you nurse the professor i saw she was right it was the sole plan open to us and i had no fear of letting hilda go off alone with lady meadowcroft and the bearers she was a host in herself and could manage a party of native servants at least as well as i could so hilda went and came back again meanwhile i took charge of the nursing of sebastian fortunately i had brought with me a good stock of jungle medicines in my little travelling case including plenty of quinine and under my careful treatment the professor passed the crisis and began to mend slowly the first question he asked me when he felt himself able to talk once more was nurse wade what has become of her for he had not yet seen her i feared the shock for him she is here with me i answered in a very measured voice she is waiting to be allowed to come and help me in taking care of you he shuddered and turned away his face buried itself in the pillow i could see some twinge of remorse had seized upon him at last he spoke cumberlich he said in a very low and almost frightened tone don't let her come near me i can't bear it i can't bear it ill as he was i did not mean to let him think i was ignorant of his motive you can't bear a woman whose life you have attempted i said in my coldest and most deliberate way to have a hand in nursing you you can't bear to let her heap coals of fire on your head in that you are right but remember you have attempted my life too you have twice done your best to get me murdered he did not pretend to deny it he was too weak for subterfuges he only writhed as he lay you are a man he said shortly and she is a woman that is all the difference then he paused for a minute or two don't let her come near me he moaned once more in a piteous voice don't let her come near me i will not i answered she shall not come near you i spare you that but you will have to eat the food she prepares and you know she will not poison you you will have to be tended by the servants she chooses and you know they will not murder you she can heap coals of fire on your head without coming into your tent consider that you sought to take her life and she seeks to save yours 
she is as anxious to keep you alive as you are anxious to kill her he lay as in a reverie his long white hair made his clear-cut thin face look more unearthly than ever with the hectic flush of fever upon it at last he turned to me we each work for our own ends he said in a weary way we pursue our own objects it suits me to get rid of her it suits her to keep me alive i'm no good to her dead living she expects to wring a confession out of me but she shall not have it tenacity of purpose is the one thing i admire in life she has the tenacity of purpose and so have i cambridge don't you see it's a mere duel of endurance between us and may the just side win i answered solemnly it was several days later before he spoke to me of it again hilda had brought some food to the door of the tent and passed it in to me for our patient how is he now she whispered sebastian overheard her voice and covering within himself still managed to answer better getting better i shall soon be well now you have carried your point you have cured your enemy thank god for that hilda said and glided away silently sebastian ate his cup of arrowroot in silence then he looked at me with wistful musing eyes cambridge he murmured at last after all i can't help admiring that woman she's the only person who has ever checkmated me she checkmates me every time steadfastness is what i love her steadfastness of purpose and her determination move me i wish they would move you to tell the truth i answered he mused again to tell the truth he muttered moving his head up and down i have lived for science shall i wreck all now there are truths which it is better to hide than to proclaim uncomfortable truths truths that never should have been truths which help to make greater truths incredible but all the same i cannot help admiring that woman she has jock bannerman's intellect with a great deal more than jock bannerman's force of will such firmness such energy such resolute patience she is a wonderful creature i can't help admiring her i said no more to him just then i thought it better to let nascent remorse and nascent admiration work out their own natural effects unimpeded for i could see our enemy was beginning to feel some sting of remorse some men are below it sebastian thought himself above it i felt sure he was mistaken yet even in the midst of these personal preoccupations i saw that our great teacher was still as ever the pure man of science he noted every symptom and every change of the disease with professional accuracy he observed 
his own case whenever his mind was clear enough as impartially as he would observe any outside patients this is a rare chance cambridge he whispered to me once in an interval of delirium so few europeans have ever had the complaint and probably none who were competent to describe the specific subjective and psychological symptoms the delusions one gets as one sinks into the coma for example are of a quite peculiar type delusions of wealth and of absolute power most exhilarating and magnificent i think myself a millionaire or a prime minister be sure you make a note of that in case i die if i recover of course i can write an exhaustive monograph on the whole history of the disease in the british medical journal but if i die the task of chronicling these interesting observations will devolve upon you a most exceptional chance you are much to be congratulated you must not die professor i cried thinking more i will confess of hilda wade than of himself you must live to report this case for science i used what i thought the strongest lever i knew for him he closed his eyes dreamily for science yes for science there you strike the right chord what have i not dared and done for science but in case i die cumberledge be sure you collect the notes i took as i was sickening they are most important for the history and etiology of the disease i made them hourly and don't forget the main points to be observed as i am dying you know what they are this is a rare rare chance i congratulate you on being the man who has the first opportunity ever afforded us of questioning an intelligent european case a case where the patient is fully capable of describing with accuracy his symptoms and his sensations in medical phraseology he did not die however in about another week he was well enough to move we carried him down to mutsuferpur the first large town in the plains thereabouts and handed him over for the stage of convalescence to the care of the able and efficient station doctor to whom my thanks are due for much courteous assistance and now what do you mean to do i asked hilda when our patient was placed in other hands and all was over she answered me without one second's hesitation go straight to bombay and wait there till sebastian takes passage for england he will go home you think as soon as he is well enough undoubtedly he has now nothing more to stop in india for why not as much as ever she looked at me curiously it is so hard to explain she replied after a moment's pause during which she had been drumming her little forefinger on the table i feel it rather than reason it but don't you see that a certain change has lately come over sebastian's attitude he no longer desires to follow me he wants to avoid me that is why i wish more than ever to dog his steps i feel the beginning of the end has come i am gaining my point sebastian is wavering 
Then, when he engages the berth, you propose to go by the same steamer? Yes, it makes all the difference. When he tries to follow me, he is dangerous. When he tries to avoid me, it becomes my work in life to follow him. I must keep him in sight every minute now. I must quicken his conscience. I must make him feel his own desperate wickedness. He is afraid to face me. That means remorse. The more I compel him to face me, the more the remorse is sure to deepen. I saw she was right. We took the train to Bombay. I found rooms at the hospital club by a member's invitation, while Hilda went to stop with some friends of Lady Meadowcroft's on the Malabar Hill. We waited for Sebastian to come down from the interior and take his passage. Hilda, with her intuitive certainty, felt sure he would come. End of chapter 11, part 1, read by Lars Rolander.